the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Worldview Media Podcast. The Desert Wastelands of Eastern New Mexico, podcasting without a net, and we're here. This is episode five. Wow. Chugging right along. Yeah, we're going to finish up the series, Lord of the Rings trilogy with the last installment, The Return of the King. Yeah. Uh... To the left on your radio screen is daughter Jordan. Hello. Hello, Jordan. And to the right is... Who is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's me. It's Joyce. <laughs> He's been... It's been a long day. <laughs> I'm in a zone. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, sad note, though, it may be the last podcast with daughter Jordan for a while. Yeah. She has to go back to college. It's <laughs> true. Well, oh, gone it. I think you should just quit college so you can podcast. Well, as lucrative as that would be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so close now that it's just have to keep pushing Might through. as well. Yeah, alrighty. I guess that's right. But maybe we'll have her in a call-in status. Well, we'll see what we can do. It's possible. Technology-wise. Oh, uh, yeah. Well. Probably nothing. <laughs> you won't get out of it that easy. <laughs> we'll still have you write everything down, and then we'll read it in a different voice. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be your weekly assignment. Okay, I'll have to stop abbreviating things weirdly. <laughs> I have to make it clear. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so Return of the King. Yeah. We... we Probably should stress again before we go on that we watch the special, special extended. extended whammy dine, yeah, newfangle. Yeah, this one I think more than a lot of the well, the two other ones. I think it had like a ton of like extra yeah. stuff that new information. Even just watching yeah. it this time, I was like, I don't even feel like I've seen this ever. This part, <laughs> like, right. and obviously yeah. I must have. But with just seeing it on like TV and stuff, yeah, they, don't have those. Yeah. they don't have all those parts. And I was really caught <clears throat> off guard by a couple. I was like, whoa. Some of them kind of seem to give new information. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff that I was like, well, <laughs> that's right. cleared up now. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, let's see. So where are we in the story? What's happening? Well. We ended, the story ended last time with the uh, ending of the battle at Helm's Deep. And uh, the humans win at Helm's Deep with the help of Gandalf and the, the formerly exiled Rohirrim. And the elves. And the elves. And the, elves yeah. and the forest. Yes. The ants. Well, the whole forest. Yeah, wow. Fangorn came and took out all the el the orcs, yeah. and then uh, they rushed into their doom. Is what happened. The orcs. Did. And then 
uh, on a parallel track, uh, Isengard was destroyed by the ants, and uh, he left Sauron kind of licking his wounds. Saruman. Yeah. Saruman. But maybe by extension. Yeah, right, right. Also Sauron. Right. And we get early in the movie, we got Gandalf back. Not as Gandalf the Grey, but Gandalf the White. And mm-hmm. So that was pretty helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> and then, so that's where we ended with the uh, ominous warning that the battle for Middle Earth was about to begin. Yeah. Huh, just now starting <laughs> the battle for Middle right. Earth. Mm. Okay, so here we are, and we have to deal with uh, the. We have to tie up loose ends with regard to Saruman and, and Worm Tongue. Yep. And then we just start fighting, pretty much. <laughs> Fast paced. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very long <clears throat> movie, but uh, not much downtime in it. Yeah. Okay. Any uh, overall impressions or? Anything like that you want to share before we get into the covenant structure? Well, I think it's a good movie. <laughs> it it felt a lot longer than the other two, I thought. Yeah. It's all those extra scenes. Yeah, probably it was, so. It was long. It was real long, but I didn't... It reminded me a little bit of a bad sermon where the <sighs> preacher just doesn't know how to end it. <laughs> <laughs> It says in conclusion like seven times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was some of that. There was on. a lot. It's, it does suffer from lots of different endings, <laughs> one after another. Right. And if you have more than one, you don't really have one. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I do. I do like it. It's oh, a good yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah, it's a good movie. By the time it gets there and you've watched the other movies oh, yeah. and stuff and you've fallen in love with everybody and. You don't want it to end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, overall impression, do you have anything to add? Well, again, it's a good movie. I think uh, the, the scenes that they deleted, probably just for time concerns, really were insightful, and I think they were important. Um, I don't know why they don't include those when they show them on TV, except <laughs> that it would take longer. <laughs> yeah. But there was really good information in those things, and even starting off with um, with Smeagol and his buddy, I don't remember oh, yeah. his buddy's name. You know, the the real story about how the ring got to where it, right. Smeagol had it and his change and just lots of good stuff. Yeah, but I think that Smeagol part was in it. I don't know if the whole was I, the whole of I it. I think in so. Huh. I think it was. I might be wrong. We might. Need there somebody maybe a to, few extra seconds in there. But I think it's basically most of it's there. Thing. I think so. And then the surprises at the beginning of the movie, as Dad pointed out when we were watching it, that the hand that you see get the ring is not the hand you think it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that it goes all the way back to the first one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I think most of my comments will come up as we're going through the structure i didn't have i didn't have big plot issues or anything that i was upset about plot wise so that's good i felt like i was pretty solid i was right on board this movie has the advantage of well it may be an advantage but it had the 
responsibility of tying up all the loose ends. And there was there was something satisfying about having the loose ends all tied up. Okay, so uh, let's start with the first point of our covenant structure, transcendence. And uh, here's where we talk about things like revelation and redemption and law-giving and things of that nature. What does the movie show in terms of what's the transcendent power? And I think last time when we were looking at the two towers, Jordan mentioned the the revelatory dreams, and there were some of that. Yeah. There was some of that still in this one. And, uh, maybe a little bit different. There was uh, Arwen's revelatory. It wasn't even a dream. It was a vision. Yeah. She was awake. and So she has this vision, and it's of the future, and... She sees her son and Aragorn with a gray beard and all yeah. that, and and uh, seems slightly familiar. <laughs> <laughs> In this movie, she saw that. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the interesting thing then is then when she goes to confront her father about it and says, "Hey, how come you didn't tell me everything?" He wasn't. He wasn't like. Oh well, you know, it's just a dream. Who can who can know? Or <laughs> yeah, I mean. For both of them to have foreseen the same thing, they act like it's a done deal, you know. And yeah. Even though I think at one point they say nothing is certain and, you know, uh, the future's not set or, or they say something like that. At some point in the movie, I forget if it's here or not. But mm. uh, So that was interesting. That bit of transcendence was there. Yeah. And I guess we've also got the whole... Uh prophecy with with Aragorn and the oh, sword yeah, so being right. reforged there and stuff yeah. that really is a much bigger deal in this movie than it has been in the other ones like I think we've heard well you've some heard about stuff it. Yeah. And, and all that but like here it becomes this big deal and it's all this kind of mystical stuff happening with right. yeah. hey Aragorn's gotta have this sword you know <laughs> well, somebody was supposed to have it we didn't know for sure who it was supposed to be and even that they have all these pieces to a sword that was broken so long ago and have been holding it in preparation for the time it would be needed again. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, the bit that, I don't know if it's transcendence or maybe more like hierarchy and representation, but then you have with all the the army in the Dimalt and how they're all dead spirits but they're yeah. uh so there obviously is an afterlife in this universe yeah because they haven't quite made it <laughs> right yeah and, but the thing that i found interesting then is way long ago isildur the king was able to curse all these dead folks so that their afterlife was affected by his curse yeah. And then when Aragorn comes along and and they fight for him and they they fulfill their oath, he has the authority then to release them from their bondage in the afterlife and they wind up moving on and 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 being at peace, <clears throat> being at peace and rest and and all yeah. that. And, uh so to me there's something weird in there that the the true king of Gondor apparently has some power over 
these folks afterlife. You yeah. know, that's kind of a that's kind of a strange thing. Well, and is that just because they had made this oath to him and they broke their oath? Is it just like saying that like you know, you swear something here and it's gonna be it's gonna really it's really you. binding. Like <laughs> you know, it's not just oh yeah, we'll do that promise but like <laughs> not really. Not really. But like <laughs> it's like, you know, that oath that they made carried more weight than maybe they had realized oh, and stuff. Right. right. Yeah, and and then that kind of gets into the whole ethics thing. Yeah. <laughs> Failing to fulfill their oath and and to do what they had promised to do, that's a big deal. And, and they're yeah. suffering in the afterlife for that. Oh, and I just thought of something. Okay, go ahead. Because uh, Smeagol, Gollum, he makes an oath to Frodo that he's going to serve him and help oh, him and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And he swears on the ring. Oh. But then it's actually really the ring that ends up killing him after he breaks that oath, which right. is pretty oh, interesting. interesting, mm, yeah. too. Right. Yeah, that is cool. And then... Uh, uh, I guess the thing that got me was, you know, they're, they're, I'm back on the dead army again, but they're in the city underground. Mm-hmm. He's confronting them and, and the one guy draws his ghostly sword and he's going to kill Aragorn with it. And Aragorn holds up the sword and he, he's able to stop him and he's obviously shocked and appalled. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> just really interesting though that here's this human king who has authority over the afterlife. And, uh, you know, knowing what I know about Tolkien and and the Christian stories that were in his head, I know he wasn't writing Christian allegory, but my goodness, how do you not see Messiah concepts in that? Right, that the, the one true king... He's got authority even, you know, after you die, you're still, you still are under his authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a, a strange thing for a, you know, <laughs> Well, but it wasn't just um, someone coming in and claiming that they were king. They had to have the sword. Yeah, it was and genuine, yeah. And those ghosts knew the sword no longer exists. You can't come in and claim authority over me because the sword was destroyed. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that the sword he holds up and it holds, you know, he's, that's gotta be like, whoa, you really are who you say you are. Is that a metaphor for resurrection? Do you think the sword is destroyed and and dead for a long time and, and now it's remade and, and back to exercise its authority? Mm. There's some kind of resurrection metaphor in that. It looks to me like. Yeah, maybe so. Any other uh, transcendence issues, you think? I don't think so. Okay. But it, it is obvious, though, that the the Tolkien universe is not a materialistic universe. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there there are greater powers for both good and evil and mm-hmm. unseen, unseen forces. So uh, let's talk about representation then. We've already kind of touched on it. It seems like maybe... More than in the other two movies, you have uh, Aragorn, who's really coming into his role as the king. Uh, he, in this movie, more than the others, he seems to kind of be a, a representative on Middle Earth of these transcendent powers. Yeah, you know, like he wasn't before. Yeah, and that's biblical. The king is generally in in biblical covenants. The king is a representative. 
a, a federal head, so to speak. And, yeah. And that's what was going on there as well. Uh, let's see, any other representatives? I kind of assumed that Gandalf still sort of had that yeah. role a little bit. But I, yeah, I think I'm with you that I was noticing Aragorn being much more important in this movie than yeah. uh, the other ones. Well, and then he takes that on, too. Uh, when Elrond comes with a sword, you know, he's kind of like, uh, I don't know if I want this. <laughs> <laughs> but everything he's done up to that point, he's already been doing it without right. the sword. And so, you know, it's a time for him to say, yeah, this is who I am. And yeah, I, I thought that was kind this. of a pivotal scene. It, and it may be an extended version thing, but it seemed to me... Like, it was more clear in that scene than I remember seeing it before, where he's deciding in that moment, I really am going to take up this sword and, mm -hmm. and uh, wield it like the owner of it. Because he's always been the heir. Yeah, right. But he's never wanted to be right. that person. And I still think he's got all of the same misgivings and not trusting himself, not trusting the strength of his own flesh and blood and, and all that. Which is healthy, I think, and, and good and right. You want a king or a ruler to step into power with a very strong distrust of his own Knowing abilities. their own limitations. And, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's move on to ethics. I think there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, I have proposed that there were thematic ethical crises in the first two movies. The first one was about all the characters having to deal with the temptation of the ring. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was all the characters having to deal with the temptation to despair and to lose hope. Mm -hmm. And I'm proposing that in this movie, <laughs> uh -huh. it seems like the prevalent ethical challenge has to do with friendship and loyalty. And you see it, most obviously, of course, with Frodo and Sam. Yeah. And you see it interrupted and almost destroyed then by uh, by Smeagol and his treachery. And, yeah. And, uh, but then there's Smeagol and his friend at the very beginning. And, oh, okay. Yeah. And then there's Merry and Pippin and the struggles they go through. And, yeah. And uh, being separated and worrying about each other and stuff like that. And then you even have like uh, Aragorn and and King Theoden, same sort of issues of friendship and loyalty and support and mutual encouragement and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I, I felt like that was kind of the moral, ethical theme that many of the characters experience in, in this particular movie. I don't know, what do you think? What other moral crisis or particular moral issues did you focus on it, <laughs> it was kind of I was having trouble trying to find a a big like overarching overarching thing yeah, so yeah. but now that you say it I can be like oh well okay sure I can <laughs> see that and I yeah. see how that could work and stuff and I don't know the thing that sort of really caught my attention was uh, was Pippin and that that ball thing, the uh -huh. seeing, right, the seeing stone. stone, yeah, 
Because, like, every other time that we've seen Pippin kind of mess something up and do something, it's been, like, accidental, you know? But this is the one time that he, like, knew what he was doing was Probably bad and yeah. goes and does it anyway and stuff. And then, uh, <laughs> of course, you know, all this other stuff happens. But then that does lead to, like Gandalf kind of says, like, but now we have this information that we didn't have before and we know the enemy's plan now thanks to Pippin and all this stuff. And it's like, that felt, it was a little strange to me, both for Pippin to sort of act intentionally, intentionally sort of wrongly and then that it ended up actually helping out too. I see what you're saying. I guess I didn't think it was as intentional. I almost, well, you see him sitting there, yeah. you know, just trying, saying, I but need to go to sleep, but I can't do it. That little glimpse that he got of it had Sauron already gotten inside his head. And, mm. and I mean, it, I felt like there was a, there was an impelling force within him that was more than just his will. He, he was drawn to okay. the thing. Yeah, there. well, maybe so. Well, you did see him kind of struggling with, I don't, I shouldn't. <laughs> right. But I have to, uh, you know, and even to go take the the stone from Gandalf, you know, there he is with his eyes open sleeping. <laughs> that was pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, I guess wizards sleep with their eyes open. That's, that one does. Right, wizards and vampires, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I really think, we've already mentioned it, but I felt like Aragorn's struggle to become who he's supposed to be was probably his main moral crisis through the whole movie and yeah. you know it was something he, he had to struggle against and with well and then with um arwen was faithful to aragorn and that she said you know you have to be cast aside you have to do it and i think elrond was compelled because she wasn't going anywhere oh. you know her time was coming to an end and she's tied to this scene and they have to he had to do something he wasn't going to remake the sword. I don't think he, he was. was going to yeah, get he, on the you know, last boat and go. This is a man issue. <laughs> We've done this before. It didn't work out so well. Yeah. They sent people to Helm's Deep. You see how that worked out. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of losses. And I don't think it wasn't his idea to do that. Yeah. And he only did it because of her. And because she said, he's the guy. You got to do it for him. Right, right. And then. I think that obviously, clearly, the most important moral crisis in terms of the plot is when Frodo is standing on the ledge inside Mount Doom, yeah. dangling the ring over the lava, and uh, yeah. having to decide in that uh, moment. Yeah. And he doesn't do a very good job either. It's right. a long and he's been, he's been he doing fails, so yeah. well. Well, I mean, he's been trying so hard and stuff, yeah. and he got so far, and in the end... <laughs> to be right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I kind of think there's a parable about sanctification and dealing with sin in your own life right there, because I feel like it's so easy as Christians to fall into a, a thing where we're quote-unquote fighting sin, but... uh you know, what if you really could just flip a switch and be forever done with the one besetting sin that you can't seem to get rid of? Would you really do it? I kind of wonder. Uh, 
I think I've known Christians and I think I've been tempted to be the Christian who uh has kind of a love-hate relationship with his own sin. Uh, do I hate it? Yeah, but why do I keep doing it? Well, because on some level, I don't hate it, you know. And, uh, and so I think that uh there's, for me, I see kind of a parable about sanctification there and, and what a challenge it can be to really submit your flesh to crucifixion, to, to count yourself dead with Christ on a daily basis, to take up your cross daily and follow after him. And, you know, we're talking about death there. And uh, I just think that there's a lot of stuff within us when we get right up to that ledge and we're standing over the fire. There's a, We're fools if we think there's not something within us that doesn't want to let go and, and see that thing fall. And so for me, it was a, it's a kind of a neat parable about dealing with sin. And, you know, like in terms of a castle, it's one thing when an invading army comes and lays, lays siege to your castle. It's quite another thing if during the siege you find out that there's sleeper cells of the enemy inside the castle who are actively fighting, you know, while you're trying to fend yeah. off the siege. And, and that's kind of what sin is for us that, you know, we get focused on sin and uh, maybe don't realize the enemy is within the gates already mm -hmm. with tendrils already around your heart. And, uh, so for me, I, I just thought that was a, that's always been a strong parable about dealing with sin. Well, and if you back out from that picture, there's Sam right there. You know, Sam's been there the whole time supporting him, getting him to that point. But ultimately, it's the person's yeah, he can't drop decision. it for him. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's the same way with the with your faith. You can have people walk with you and accompany you the whole way, but it's a it's an individual choice. Yeah, yeah, and you can't. Yeah, that's right. Sam couldn't make that decision. You know, you could see it on his face. He's like, come on, you know how <laughs> terrible this thing is. <laughs> right. And then, uh, then of course, we find that it's not just uh, Frodo, who has pretty much just been taken over by the ring, but also uh, Gollum has survived, and, uh, and he's completely taken over as well. And so that winds up being his demise. Mm -hmm. And how fitting. And how biblical the picture then that he finally gets the ring that he wants and in slow motion he's falling and he's falling into the, even to the eternal flames. Yeah. And he doesn't even notice it because he's so overjoyed yeah. and enraptured to have the ring finally. And even after he hits the lava. Yeah. You know, it takes him a while. Before you see it in his eyes, like, oh, wait. Oh, duh. <laughs> this might not be good. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. I think that's obviously what sin does yeah. and whatever that thing is that I was just going to say, but us. isn't that the way sin is? It, right. You know, it's the it's the gold of the precious that makes you think it's right worth everything. Right. You know, the old Puritans used to talk about one of the tactics of Satan is to hide the hook inside the bait so that you bite the bait and get the hook without knowing that it's there. And uh, in some way, I think 
you don't even need the hook sometimes. You just need to tie the bait securely to the rope and and we'll just go. You yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well it was about possessing the ring, but the ring really possessed sure. them. Right. Yeah. And that was the whole intent yeah. in the creation of that ring was to rule them all. There was another character that I just want to point out there's a character in there that reminds me of a biblical biblical character. Uh, and in the Bible, the character's name is the Rabshakeh. And he comes in, in the history of Israel when Hezekiah was the king. And he comes as the mouthpiece of Sennacherib of yeah. Assyria. And he comes to taunt Jerusalem. And, you know, what other nation has... Uh, has the God of that nation been able to protect against my master? And, oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and so then you have the mouth of Sauron come out of the gates there, and, and uh, he just reminded me of the Rabshakeh. And Hezekiah didn't get to remove his head from his shoulders like Aragorn did. <laughs> but but. <laughs> the first time I saw that, I was like, that's the Rabshakeh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. All right. Okay. Let's see. Any other moral issues? Was it right for Eowyn to go out into battle when she wasn't supposed to be there? Was she defying the king's order? Was yeah. she? And Mary wasn't supposed to be there either. No. Yeah, I think technically that would... That's not right. If your king gives you a direct order, I think you need to follow but that order. But if she hadn't have been there, yeah, it worked out good in the in providence this one. of of the god of Middle Earth. It worked out well. Yeah. In this one instance, though, I guess it was okay. I wrote a book about defying tyrants and and all that, so I'm not I'm not saying you obey the king no Regardless, matter what. Yeah. But the king does have the right to say who's going to be in his army and who. Who isn't? And so I think that, and he wasn't doing anything tyrannical by telling them to stay behind. And so I would say technically, yeah, it was wrong for them to ride out, but uh, it did work out well in, in the end. And he obviously forgave them by the time it was over. Uh, let's see. Any other ethics or morals issues? I have to think about the steward of Gondor. Oh. <laughs> he had some issues. Yeah. I'm not sure it was ethical or moral as so much as it was mental insanity. and I mean, he obviously wasn't in his right mind. Well, I don't know. I, th- I, th- I think that probably Faramir and Boromir grew up with different dads. Oh, yeah. And that that was something that was always there. Now, that was probably more marked after Boromir didn't return. But I don't think he was the same parent to both of them. Right. Now, there is an issue there. Uh, it's It was obvious to everybody who watched that when, when the steward sent Faramir to take his little army back to try to take retake over. the city at the river, Mm-hmm. Osgiliath. Osgiliath. I think everybody that was watching, was including in the story, yeah. they knew that was a death sentence and that that, that was horrible and, and just ridiculous. 
I think biblically the responsibility of Faramir at that moment as a lesser magistrate it's for the people to... He should have resisted that order and he should have protected his men from that kind of ridiculousness. Now I'm not, I'm not sure what that resistance would have had to look like in that in that moment. He might have wound up just getting uh, relieved from duty or whatever, but uh, when the when the higher magistrate makes an order that's contrary to the law of God and sending men to pour out their blood for nothing is yeah. is contrary to the law of God, then it's the lesser magistrate's right and duty to oppose that wicked order. So I would have loved to have had uh, Faramir find some way to save his men. How many of them died? Yeah. You know, yeah, as far as I know, he's the only one that came back. Yeah, yeah I think well, they did say else. that. I think he said that they were, he was the only one, the only survivor. Right, so how many men died because of an order that was just punitive, punitive and, yeah. and obviously foolish? Well, it was murderous, is what it was. It was a murderous order. And the steward... And there's no moral or ethics. <laughs> <laughs> the, the steward admitted before he gave the order that He'd be happier if Faramir was dead, you know. Yeah, it depends how you come back and what right. I think about it. Right. Yeah. So, but then when Faramir came back and he looked like he was a goner, like he was dead, it seemed like in a way that released the steward to be like, okay, everybody run for your lives. <laughs> it's all over now. Abandon your post. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I it somewhere. I don't know. But, you know, right. he really, he really lost it. Then, and, yeah. you know, I'm going to burn my son, and I'm going to burn with him. Really interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of bad moral uh, issue in, in the steward. I just think, man, he was crazy. He was he was insane. <laughs> but, you know, maybe he got there by, by steps, starting out with little compromises here and horrible decisions here and there, and, and finally gets to this place. Do you mm. think sometimes that people that are in a bad emotional or mental state, sometimes that's just the natural result of years of training themselves to think in horrible ways? I mean, that sounds not very compassionate on my part, but do you think that's a possibility? I, I do. Yeah, I really do think that it's hard to change yourself. Yeah. And you you do make bad choices, and when you make bad choices, they seem like they just compound and right. grow and get bigger and kind of just take everything over. So yeah, interesting. And then uh, there were there were a couple of uh, moments of resistance to the tyrant that happened that I enjoyed, like uh, when Gandalf finally. Yeah, you know, has to physically shut him up and, <laughs> yeah. and pretty much take command of the army. It that seems like good. everybody's happy to listen to him, too. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, but before the situation that, he, hasn't changed any, but it's like, okay, you, you're going to tell me what to do. <laughs> right. And before that, he, uh, he used Pippin to light the signal fires after the yeah. king had said, no, no, we're not going to do that. And that was a little bit of resistance, too. Well, after the yeah, the fake king, the substitute. 
The temp. <laughs> the temp. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Uh, let's move on to sanctions. Point four of the covenant. This is where we talk about rewards for obedience and disobedience. And I think this is where we see a lot of storylines come to the completion of their arc yeah. here. Uh, because, you know, like we've already mentioned, we see uh, Aragorn makes all the right decisions and, and uh, winds up dun, 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 not only saving the day, but becoming the king and looking forward to a great era of peace and, yeah. and prosperity in the yeah. kingdom. And, well, his becoming the king was just a an official proclamation. I think he was that person before they oh, put yeah. the crown on his yeah, head. That's right. That just was the icing on the cake, making it public. Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't the icing. The icing came behind a little flag. <laughs> <laughs> he hadn't expected that so much. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Okay, but uh, apparently, speaking of the little icing, she and uh, Aragorn then were left believing that they've got fairly long life ahead of them in terms of being together and prospering as husband yeah. and wife. So that was good. And then the reward for all the hobbits I thought was interesting. Uh because it wasn't it wasn't undiluted. I mean, they did come back in royal robes. They yeah, came back to the Shire and ponies. Ponies. With nice ponies and royal robes and, and uh Sam Gets the girl. He gets the girl gets because, because, like he's the cowardly lion, he's found some courage. And by gum, he's gonna do this, uh, right? Because he knows uh, life is short. Good old Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't undiluted good because, like the scene in the tavern when they get back, you can tell. I don't know. Is it something like PTSD or something? Well, I think they've just experienced so much more now than everybody around them that they don't really. They're never really going to belong the same place that they belonged before. You're saying part of the part of what it means to live in the Shire is to be kind of blissfully ignorant of everything outside mm-hmm. the Shire yeah. and just be happy with what's going on there. Yeah, because as good as their lives there are going to be, they're still always going to have all this sort of weight from knowing all this other stuff and having seen these things and some of them have gone into battle and stuff and it's just the people around them are never gonna they're never gonna know about any of that stuff much less understand that that's what happened and how they how that affected them and stuff yeah and and so without talking about it i thought it was a good piece of cinema without talking about it you, you really could kind of see all of that in their faces as yeah. they were there in the tavern and everybody else is singing the same songs they were singing two years ago and stuff like yeah. that. And, and nothing's changed. Well, there's and, a maturity to them. And yeah. I think there's more depth to the character because of all of that. Right. They're more serious. Definitely. I didn't understand really why Frodo has to go on the ship at the end. I, yeah. I, I, that one escapes me a little bit, but. Maybe he was just even more, more so. He, yeah, he maybe so. Yeah, I would think having to carry that ring around for over a year. Yeah. Just really changed him. Oh, I think it did. 
Yeah. It had to have. I mean, right. for him to, at the beginning, just like, yeah, sure, I'll do this for you. For at the end, I can't let go of this. So it was kind of a relief to him then to board the ship. Well, and, I think so. And, and leave like you said, you know, the wound that he got never healed. Never healed. Yeah. It was always a, a pain to him. And yeah. um, even though he was leaving some really good friends behind, I think he, in leaving all that behind, he just left a lot of tragedy and. And sorrow as well. And probably it, some guilt too yeah, about how he treated Sam and grief and, and what had happened on the, you know, their whole journey and stuff. Yeah. You know, cause I'm sure he never thought he would have turned against Sam and told him to leave. Right, right. Now we don't get much in terms of what the future holds for like Legolas and Gimli. Yeah. I, I kind of suspect. I think they go back to their ways. <laughs> I think in the books, they're both kind of princes. And, uh, yeah, and, loyalty. And that, uh, so I, I imagine they're going to go back to their their dominions and, you know, move into leadership in wherever that is. Yeah. But Legolas is going to have to leave, right? As well, the elves I don't staying. know if those elves stay. I thought they were all leaving. I thought all the elves were leaving. Well, I don't know. But if they stay, if they stay, if Legolas <laughs> stays. They can just be pen pals. And <laughs> don't you think they'll just be friends and there'll be a lot oh, yeah. of now cooperation between oh, dwarves yeah. and elves? And At least between them two. Yeah. They're two families for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, and you see that when they're waiting outside the gate saying, when Gimli told them, I never thought I'd die alongside an elf. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. How about alongside a friend? Well, yeah. all right then. <laughs> I can right. do that. <laughs> I can do that. Right. Uh, the other story arcs that completed in a way that I imagine it was smoother in the book, but to see Eowyn and Faramir get together, I'm not sure I felt like that storyline was terribly smooth. Yeah. And that's even with all these extended scenes. Yeah, it's worse right. when they take those out. Because in the regular They're not there version, all. the only shot we ever see is just them at Aragorn's like coronation, <laughs> sort of smiling at each together, other. And you say, right. when did you even meet? <laughs> <laughs> like, what has happened? But yeah. I, I kind of liked them being like invalids together and sort of probably learning about each yeah, other. Yeah, they're and convalescing stuff. together. Yeah. yeah. So... Well, and Fermer really is... He's a good guy. He's a man of character. He's, yeah. He's, you know, he, uh, his value, yeah, yeah. She he's recognized his value, his quality. His yeah. quality. Yep. But it didn't, it, uh, it didn't bother you that she, she has spent two movies now seeming very smitten with Aragorn. Well, well who wouldn't come be on smitten? now? Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real here. I spent a lot more than two up, movies. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It just but he's available. Fermer's available where Aragorn well, never but was. That can't be your only reason for, you know. Well, but at some guy. point, when a guy is not available, available <laughs> if he, right, right. then at some point you can't keep on pining. You can't keep on doing these things. Like you can't yeah. keep pursuing that. You have to be okay to say that. This is Plus, not... he really was an older man. Yeah, well, quite a bit. 
and he dodged a bullet by not having to marry her with the, oh, the cooking. Of cooking. Yeah. Yeah, she was, yeah. <laughs> oh man, uh, I had some troubles there. But Faramir can afford. Yeah, they'll get a, a chef. chef or something. <laughs> That's why she can't cook. <coughs> clearly, but you know, because Aragorn's going to be in power. He's going to be the king of Gondor. I think everything's going to work out for everybody. And she's going to be the queen of Rohan, and it's all going to be fine. She'll have people cook. Everything's fine. <laughs> Does Faramir leave Gondor then? <clears throat> I would think so. Be with the horse people. Don't Does he become the new king? She's the I just queen. still don't understand why Aomer mm. isn't going to be king. Why Aomer? Is he? Is he? Uh, He's her older he brother. Or older? He's older know. for sure. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. That was never said. I don't. know. <coughs> well, you just have to see. <laughs> He's got to be older than she is. I, I don't know that. <coughs> well, what happens in the book? I feel like he should be king. I feel you like just, that's just right. I think that's just a a bias that men should be in charge. Well, I'm just going by what uh, Theoden said. He yeah. sure did seem to. That she was going to be the one that was taking Look over. forward to her being the queen. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> That yeah. just seems, I know, I don't know. I never, I feel like I never got that that specifically was his intention. Like, I felt like um, she, he just wanted her to, cause she was kind of already doing a lot of that stuff that he was talking about. You need to go home and do all these things. Right. So I kind of felt like that had already been sort of her job that she was, you know, sort of helping to maintain things and, and doing a little bit of, you know, but that's not what Aomer was doing. Because well, he was going out and being in charge of the military. And well, but is the things. king not supposed to be in charge of the military? Like, can you not be the captain and the king? It's a treacherous place to be. Because if you're gone, then... <laughs> well, Yeah, you can't be riding out with the army. Uh, I don't know. You shouldn't. I mean, sometimes you got to go out. But, but every time that, that they rode out, Theoden was riding out with them. And maybe he was just counting on Aomer also dying. Since it was sort of, they had so few men and stuff. <laughs> Looks pretty bleak. Pretty bleak. And you know, he does seem to, I feel like he does seem to look on the dark side once in a while <laughs> with that kind of stuff. Right, right. I don't know. Maybe she is going to be queen. I just, it seems very strange <laughs> to me. Yeah. I Just from the movie, I didn't like the fact that she was suddenly with Faramir and they are obviously a couple. That well, needs to be explained kinda, a little bit more to me. Kind of nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like, well yeah, far, it, it's very nice. It's very sweet and stuff, but. He's a real good guy. Yeah, Let's I guess see. you can't devote a lot of time to it, though. Uh, yeah. The other Trent or uh, sanctions issues, all the bad guys get what's coming to them, right? Seems so wrong. Like uh, Sauron, so. he's gone forever, right? Yeah, he's destroyed, destroyed now. He, there's no way he can come back because the ring is gone. Yeah. And Saruman. All of his Saruman stuff is in Saruman is gone too. Yeah, Saruman's gone. Worm tongue is gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, worm tongue <laughs> is gone. I feel like maybe Wormtail just rolls off the, <laughs> the tongue. It's easier better. to say, right? <laughs> can be from another book. <laughs> Grima. <laughs> Grima. There you go. Uh, let's see. Any other? Where's he gone? Oh, yeah. So, gone, gone. Gone. the steward's gone. Yeah. 
Oh, that was something. That was a necessary thing. He made his own fireworks display at the end. Yeah. You know, even though he was a steward, I don't think he would have ever stepped down. Oh, no. Yeah. Would he have yielded to Aragorn? No. There would have been some kind of civil war or something. Yeah. Though I feel like, how many followers <laughs> yeah, would he how have? how many would really be loyal? It'd be like yeah. a tiny little uprising and then... Yeah. yeah. Oh, there was an issue that I was going to ask you all about. It does seem like at one point when Gandalf is confronting the steward and, and the, it's in the throne room and Gandalf is hoping that he doesn't know all these things that have transpired. Yeah, that he ends up knowing. But he knows and he seems to know details. Yeah. Does that mean that he has one of the seeing stones somewhere and that his mind has been poisoned by Sauron? Well, I thought that into the seeing stone? I thought that we had seen him I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. I had always assumed that that was what it was. Because he knew about Aragorn. And yeah. And all that. Yeah. Okay, well then, that's part of where his insanity would come from, right? The, sure. The presence or was possessed by some bit of Sauron. Mm. Well, we never see a stone there, but he does have information that yeah, we should. Yeah, he's got a lot of information. We're just having sure. a little horn show up on the shore. <laughs> and uh, the last part of the covenant structure is secession, uh, where we start talking about the future. We've kind of already mentioned some of that. Since this is the end of the movie, I think we've already mentioned where things look to be set up. Mm -hmm. But I think, if I understand right, I think in Tolkien's view, all the Middle Earth books were stories that happened somewhere in the misty medieval period or something oh, like sure. that. And that uh and once the elves leave and all the magical creatures are gone, then we move on with human history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I think I've heard something like that. Yeah. So uh, we then are the succession of <laughs> of the things that happen in the in the Middle Earth mythology. Uh other than that I don't know Anything else? Do you have any other notes or anything or any particular issues you'd give this an A plus to? Uh, yeah, I guess probably so. Okay. And you, Mama? Yeah, yeah, I'd say yes. You know, for a series, there really was good consistently throughout all three, which is yeah. something that's hard. To right. accomplish, especially sure. for as big as the productions are. I mean, Jordan's talked about costuming and scenery and music, and that whole standard was really pretty much sustained across the board. So, yeah, and the other thing they don't get credit for a lot, I guess, a lot of what we're used to seeing now in terms of CGI, didn't they kind of pioneer a lot I, of that? Yeah, and I think so. I think that's especially with like a, the motion capture thing with Gollum and stuff. Oh, yeah, that right, was, right. Yeah. With the actor wearing a suit. Yeah. yeah. And then I think the other thing that I heard they did was pretty much any time now that you see CGI fire, it was these guys that invented how to do that. Uh, well, they just they did a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason I bring that up is because I think that as Christians get involved in storytelling and, and uh, entertainment media, I think that our focus needs to be on 
doing that sort of thing about trying to pioneer, trying to break down boundaries and envelopes and what has been done and what can we do. And I'd like to see Christian creative people be uh, innovators, you know, and yeah. really using their imaginations to really stretch and, and do new things and, and to do them with excellence. And I think that this series has kind of embodied that sort of thing. I don't think there's any reason to believe that Peter Jackson and, and his cohorts had any kind of Christian commitments, but, uh, man, what they've done here, I feel like is a great model that people could learn a lot from if you're going to break into that kind of field. Mm, yeah. All right. Anything left to say about this? Well, for me, I think the end of the movie with um, Frodo finishing his story, which was, of course, after Bilbo's story. Right. And then handing the book on to Sam right. and saying, there's more left in here and you need to go and do these things. Right. You know, that that's really, I kind of see that as a mandate for us. You know, we have, we need to go forward and be doing things and... Oh, sure. And, um... Yeah, but aren't you kind of rooting for <laughs> Sam's portion of the book to just be... Kind of peaceful? Like, <laughs> today I watered the... <laughs> picked some pumpkins out Rosa, of my own Rosie's work. pregnant again. We're it having another... It was a good day. And, right. <laughs> But there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it doesn't have to no, be. No, that, that's right. That's right. You're upheaval rooting for and him to, struggle. Yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. You know, it should be, isn't the goal to be in peace yeah. and to have the king yeah. come and rule and reign in that's righteousness right. and right. not have to worry about all that other right. stuff? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I'd like to, I'd like to see him just live a peaceful and quiet life and gardening. And, and if anybody deserves it. It's Sam. Right. Yeah. I don't know about marrying people. I mean, they'll, <laughs> they'll do whatever they're going to do. I think their obvious job is that they need to be uh, diplomatic representatives oh, of, sure. of the halflings with, to yeah, with Gondor. The other, and, yeah. With their little countries that they've made their yeah, little ties yeah. to. and Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't want him in the Shire now anyway. Yeah, so. <laughs> might as well. Well, but the Fellowship of the Ring still continues because I... I you have that with the hobbits that are remaining, and of course with right. Legolas and Gimli, and yeah, with the three, yeah, and of course with Aragorn. So, yeah. All right, I think we've about done all the damage we can. Oh boy, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jordan, you'll be interested mm. to know I've decided that our next podcast episode. Mm will be on a classic movie that I know you like and have actually experienced the book we're going to do in episode six. Oh no. The Princess Bride. Hey. <laughs> she may be calling in for that. <laughs> right. You may have to really give us your notes on the book. And yeah. Stuff. Oh man. <laughs> There's so much. There's so much to say. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I think that'll be a lot of fun. So all you out in podcast land. But wait, before we go, you know, we did kind of mention about magic and wizards and stuff like that oh. in this book. So, oh, right, right. you know, is that bad? Is that wrong? Uh, oh, okay. Well, yeah, let's break, break. We had a, a reader submit a question and we'd kind of like us to address the topic of magic within fiction. And... uh is it wrong to enjoy a story where magic is being used With and, wizards and stuff and, like that? Yeah. Y'all yeah. uh, know we raised you and 
you girls and we've always enjoyed the books and the movies with the magic and stuff like that but I think we always tried to be very straightforward with you and tell you you know the magic that's in these books is make-believe and it's there is such a thing as real witchcraft yeah and that's just purely evil and and you know God says you're supposed to put real witches to death you're not yeah. even supposed to mess with it you know and and uh but this stuff that we're talking about in the in the movies it's it's really not even that and uh it's just made up and stuff and so we kind of tried tried to draw distinctions there uh it's hard to say because for me i think like from book to book and from world to world the use of magic is going to be different yeah, and how that works and stuff like that. On uh, like here in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, and even in uh, the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis, you're, there's magic stuff going on and magic creatures. Mm-hmm. But I'm convinced that real witchcraft is about harnessing demonic power and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's clearly not what's going on with. Uh, with the good guys doing magical things and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, well, and for me, you know, this is fiction. Yeah, right. And you really got to understand that what does fiction mean? It's not real. <laughs> right. It's make-believe. Right. And uh, anytime you get too crazy about anything, it's really not good. Right. <laughs> well, on Apologia Radio, they had a recent podcast where they were talking about fiction and and what's allowable for christians and what isn't and and you know uh i don't think there's ever a place for like obscenity and and stuff like that nudity i'm not sure there's ever a a place where that's valid (laughs) in entertainment yeah and and blasphemy i'm not sure there's ever a, a place where that's needful you know and and uh but Let's say you're watching a Western movie and you've got this outlaw who who just kills people for sport and and treats human life like it's nothing and and he's just a bad guy and that's what he does he kills people and uh, are you if you watch a person committing murder or you read a book about somebody committing murder are you somehow involved in that I don't I don't get that at all. Yeah. Uh, because I see things like that happening in the scripture itself. As you read the Bible, you're going to f- see murders taking place and adultery taking place and homosexuality taking place. And, yeah. And what are you, does reading that taint you? I, I don't even think that's possible yeah. when we're talking about the scripture, right? And I think it really does come down to some intention. If you're watching that Western movie with the bad guy just treating people horrible and killing mass murdering and stuff and you're going oh yeah that's cool yeah kill that guy oh yeah you just <laughs> right between the eyes if you're you know if you're rooting for the murderer and you're kind of like joyce said living vicariously through that i think that's an issue and uh and i think probably if you find yourself reading a book or watching a movie that features some magic of some kind and what that does to you is make you start wishing you could do magic. Then I think we've got an issue, and uh, and that's probably moving you in a in a sinful direction at that point. But mm. if you're able to 
keep in mind this is fiction and and I know what's real and true according to the word of God mm -hmm. and I'm not going to let this fiction move me into sin and uh I that's kind of how I approach some of that but I I do think like let's just say it the the magic that's in the Lord of the Rings is not the same magic as is in say the Harry Potter books yeah magic works differently mm-hmm and you could multiply examples of books, fantasy, fiction, and there's magic in those books, and they're not all kind of working the same way. Yeah. In in my book, uh, The Groaning Man, there's magic in that world, but I've purposely made it so that all the magic is evil, and uh, and the the magic in in the world that I'm creating there is more like magic that really exists in terms of witchcraft and demonic forces and stuff like that. So in the world that I've created in the groaning man, uh, magic is evil, just like it is in the Bible or, or something like that, you know, and, uh, but not all books are like that. And I just think it, you got to take it case by case is what is this talking about? And, and, uh, bottom line, I don't think you're in sin because you read about somebody sinning. I don't think you necessarily participate in that unless you read about the sin and it and it makes you go, Ooh, look at that. You know. That might be kind of fun. <laughs> if, <laughs> if that's what it does, then you're wrong, definitely. I don't know. Well I I anticipate that as the podcast moves forward we'll have opportunity to talk more and more about that and, and what's going on there well i think we might even see magic in the princess bride oh well something close yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so princess bride i was just thinking uh i was just thinking about the fact of how much of the Princess Bride has seeped into popular culture without people even really knowing it. Oh, yeah. It's all over Facebook and memes and stuff like that. Yeah. You almost can't escape it. And so I think it's going to be fun to rewatch and kind of keep track of how many things said in the Princess Bride <laughs> have become cultural staples oh, here yeah. and now. And, uh, That's crazy. Kind of funny. So Princess Bride for next time. Uh, God bless y'all. We want to encourage you to be creative. Uh, we're part of Reconstructionist Radio, and, and that network is all about trying to take the Word of God and apply it to every area of life, and that includes arts and entertainment. And uh, So go out and be creative. Use your gifts for the glory of God. Amen? That's right. All right. Thank you all. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, 
then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.